This is your Friday Daily Delivery. I'm Michael Rand. Just when you thought it was safe to maybe have some optimism about the Twins against the Yankees, everything fell apart Thursday. Um, I don't want to dwell on that right now, but we will get into that quite a bit on today's show. Some interesting developments within that game, within that series. Twins lose two out of three somehow, even though a lot of things went their way. Um, Gary Sanchez, interesting. He's the former Yankee who is now a twin, was traded right before the season started. Interesting contractual thing that just caught my eye with Gary Sanchez and made me um, take note. So I wanted to pass that along to you. Um, Tony LaRussa got himself into all sorts of a dilemma with the decision he made to intentionally walk a batter for the Dodgers um, with uh, a one and two count. And the way he explained it made a little bit of sense, but I wanted to find a happy medium or maybe a mostly Tony was wrong spot to land on that. I'll play an audio clip of him defending the move here in a little bit as well. Um, Oklahoma softball, Dominant, dominant, dominant caps off their 59-3 and season with a women's college basketball, I'm sorry, with a women's softball national championship. And I'll get to Randy Johnson, covers Gophers football, a big, big recruiting weekend for Gopher football. Randy will help us break that down here in a little bit as well. But first, what did I miss? So I keep, I kept seeing all these first time ever, first time in a long time things popping up with the Yankees and Twins. Kept seeing all these all these things that were going in the Twins' favor in this series. Thursday, they started the game with three consecutive home runs against Garrett Cole, ostensibly the ace of the Yankee staff, or at least one of the very good pitchers on this staff. Luis Arias started off the game with a home run. Then it was Byron Buxton's turn to go deep. And uh, after that, Carlos Correa went deep. So it was three to nothing. I'm sorry, it was three to one at that point because the Yankees had scored in the top of the first. The Yankees came back with two in the top of the second, but then the Twins just keep hitting home runs. Um, Byron Buxton, Trevor Larnick. So Buxton, another one, a three run shot. So they're up seven to three on the Yankees after three innings, and they've basically, all three Yankee starters in this series have been very, very good. All three of them exited, having allowed the most runs they had allowed in a game in uh, in, in this series. So the Twins had knocked around three very good starting pitchers, and at that point, the series, tied was 1-1, series was tied 1-1, and the Twins were up um, 7-3 after three innings. But Dylan Bundy was the starting pitcher, and they still had 18 outs to get against the Yankees. And kind of the mood on Twitter, which is funny, like you try to take the temperature on Twitter, see where people's heads are at, was a little bit giddy with all the home runs being hit because of the history between these teams, because of the hatred for the Yankees. Um, But at the same time, it was, uh uh-oh, a lot of baseball left, and then all of a sudden, Yankees get two runs in the fifth, Two runs in the sixth, two runs in the seventh. Next thing you know, they're up 9-7, end up winning 10-7. Twins don't score a single run after that home run burst, those five home runs in the first three innings, all off of Garrett Cole. In fact, 
after Garrett Cole left the game, they did not get a hit. Um, sorry, they got one hit for the last six and two-thirds innings off of five different Yankees relief pitchers, while the Yankees, of course, did quite a bit of damage against the Twins relievers. And the, the tough part about that was the Twins seemingly had kind of saved some of their best relief pitchers for the eventuality that they might get into a game like this. Um, the first four relievers they brought out all had very good ERAs. All of them gave up runs in this game. The most disappointing probably Joe Smith, who gave up two runs in one inning, including a home run to uh, Aaron Hicks, former twin who has hurt them a lot over the years. And Joan Duran, who's been very good this season, uh, four hits allowed in just a third of an inning, only 15 pitches. He gave up two runs as well, and that was basically where the game turned. When when Smith came in the game, it was a 7-5 to five game still. You're thinking, okay, 12 outs to go, but still, you know, you've got your best relievers stacked up. Maybe you can get this one to the finish line. The Twins could not, so... All the positives in this game, all the positives in this series, you know, everything they did right, knocking these Yankee starters out, um, you know, staying in these games, still leads to the inevitable outcome where the Yankees take two out of three, and that is now 39 and 111. 150 games, 39 and 111 for the Twins against the Yankees since the start of the 2002 season. We've harped on that a lot. That is unfathomable. That is unbelievable. It's believable in the sense that the Yankees have held such a payroll disparity during that time. But again, we've talked about this. The Twins have had some very good teams during that time. They've been in playoff contention more often than not in those years and won eight division titles in that time span. And they are in first place again this season. The Yankees just have this hold on them. So have a couple of things I want to get to kind of on the his, the historical track, but I want to play a clip from Rocco Baldelli kind of summing up what he thought of this game and this series. Here's the Twins manager. Yeah, there were there were different waves of that game um, that I think everyone uh, in the ballpark could uh, easily feel. Um, but I'd like to take a step back. You know, obviously we didn't close the game out the way we needed. That, that's, that's pretty straightforward to all, but um, I mean, I was really happy with the way we came out. Um, playing a really good team, maybe one of the best teams in baseball. We think we're right there, too. We went right at them, uh, went after one of the best starters in baseball today and um, hit them around pretty good. Couldn't have been happier with the at-bats that we had. Um, and we, we kept coming back. We, uh, we did a lot of good today. Um, so I'm not gonna I'm not gonna sit here and you know talk about the stuff that you know we know we we dropped a pop up we did uh, you know didn't complete some plays we got to play crisper baseball um, if we're gonna get outs in the middle of the game and late in the game and make it happen but uh, I think we fought pretty good you know and I guess when this series started I think we said if the Twins can get one game you probably feel okay about it just because of how well the Yankees have been playing how good they are this year. They are 41-16 and 16 now. That is an amazing clip. They can hit. They can pitch. Even though they didn't get the pitching in this series, they still took two out of three. So that's a tough one to, uh, to, to stomach for, for the Twins. Just a very good team. But historically, this 39-111, and 111, it's, just, it's, it's psychological, right? I know it spans different managers. It spans tons of different players, but it still has not changed and so just for context i wanted to see okay what would what would like what would the twins how the how have the twins fared against a 
a comparable team during that same time frame. And there's nobody is the Yankees exactly, right? The Yankees are the Yankees. And certain, you know, certainly you can say from 2002 to this point, they have been the dominant team in the major leagues, right? They've, they're in, they're in contention. They've got the playoff, the, the payroll. They've been in contention pretty much every year during that span. But you know what? So have the Boston Red Sox. Boston Red Sox, since the start of the 2002 season, have won four World Series titles. They've won at least 90 games the majority of the time. So I wanted to see how have the Twins fared against another very good American League East team since the start of the 2002 season. So I went back. I couldn't find like a, a clean way to do it other than to add it all up. Um, but here is what I came up with. Twins, since the start of the 2002 season against the Boston Red Sox, 58 and 69. Not great, right? Not great, but not terrible. That is a 457 winning percentage. And that is kind of in line with what you might expect between, you know, a team that's been good but has had some down years and a team that has been very good more often than not and you know, has a higher payroll and competes in a different, more competitive division. That would be, that would be a very acceptable record for the Twins to have had against the Yankees during this span. Instead, 39 and 111. This is a hold that the Yankees have over the Twins that simply defies logic in the bigger sense of the word. Even when the Twins were up 7-3, people were dreading the rest of this game. And for good reason. It turned out for good reason. Just when you think it's safe to start feeling good about the Twins against the Yankees, this is what happens. This is what's happened so many times historically had kind of shades of that 2019 game, I think it was, when when Twins had a big lead, then Aaron Hicks made a, had, had some heroics, made a huge catch in extra innings, preserved that win. There have been multiple cases over the history of these franchises in the last 20 years when things like this have happened, and they happened again on Thursday. Take a playcation to Mystic Lake for 24-7 gaming, fun restaurants and bars, and luxurious hotel rooms. And join Club M to bask in the rewards. Follow the lights to Mystic Lake, where every day is play day. Now, one side note before we get into a conversation I had with Randy Johnson on Gopher Football Recruiting. Gary Sanchez and the Twins just agreed on his contract for this season on uh, on Thursday. I thought that was interesting because of the way the offseason went in baseball with the lockout. A lot of potential arbitration cases did not get settled before the season ended. They did not have time to do the whole you know, meeting, exchanging of numbers. So a lot of potential arbitration cases were scheduled for during the season. So the Twins and Sanchez just agreed on Thursday to a $9 million deal for this season, the season he is currently playing on, this, the season he's been playing in for two months. It just makes me wonder, like, how has he been getting paid? Exactly what has been going on? Have they just been giving him an estimated salary this whole time? That just was a, a curiosity to me, a kind of footnote to this strange offseason in baseball. Gary Sanchez now making $9 million a year. I'm sure they kind of had an idea this is what it would be, but if he had gone to arbitration, it could have been a little higher or lower, depending on that. They kind of met in the middle finally, but strange that they didn't, you know, weren't able to do this before the season started, making kind of an estimated salary for the first two months of the year. I wrote about Gary Sanchez, by the way. I did a Randball blog post on Thursday on the best and worst Twins off-season move now that we've seen them for you know, more than a third of the season. And I graded that 
Twins-Yankees trade as the best move they made, not just because of you know the return on investment, what they've gotten from Gary Sanchez and Gio Urshela so far this year, but you know being able to move Josh Donaldson's contract in that trade gave them the ability to then go sign Carlos Correa. Gary Sanchez's production made the Mitch Garver for Kiner Falefa trade okay, and then Kiner Falefa was part of that deal as well. So, you know, a lot to like about that trade, a lot to like about some of the other offseason moves. Worst to me was the uh, Taylor Rogers trade. It's, it's not working out so far, especially with Chris Paddock out for the season with Tommy John surgery. So you can go read more about that on the Randball blog. All right, happy to be joined on Daily Delivery today by Randy Johnson, covers gopher football for the Star Tribune and had a piece earlier this week on a big weekend for gopher football recruiting, hosting maybe as many as 30 re- potential recruits on, on campus and their families starting on Friday. They, I think they call it Summer Splash, Randy. Um, with that as a kind of a setup, first, how are you doing? And, and second, um, that sounds like a lot this weekend. Yeah, it's it's a pretty uh, doing good. It, it, by the way, uh, yeah, it's a pretty big weekend for the Gophers. It, you know, this is uh, a chance to showcase uh, Minnesota to these recruits, um, and a lot of the guys that they're bringing in are guys who have already committed. But th- there's there's a good group of ones that they're still trying to get to commit. Um, you know, they'll show them the campus, everything. They'll take them around town. They'll I'm sure they'll spend some time out at out at PJ's place on the lake, and uh, you know, it, it, it they they seem to uh, entertain them very well, and you know. Last year they got uh, five uh, commitments out of the weekend, so it's it's a it's a pretty important time for the Gophers. Is this something that's you know, that they've traditionally done and that's common in college sports? It feels like or college football in particular, like June, July. I always it never you know it felt to me like that was an evaluation time less than uh, everyone's going to be on campus time. But maybe I'm just not remembering things right. Well, I think it depends on the school, but yeah, that, this this is there are a lot of uh, visits being made in June. Um, a lot of that has to do with the early signing period in December. Uh, a lot of kids want to, uh, seniors to be, want to get their uh, recruiting uh, done if they can in the summer and not have to worry about it during the season. Others will wait till the fall and take some visit, visits during, uh, you know, during game days and things like that. So it's, it's kind of a mix. So the recruiting class that they signed in 2022 ranked pretty low in the Big Ten and actually I believe it was last in the conference. It was a small class. This one, Seems like it's trending to be better, but again, we don't know until everybody's signed. What what do we know about the class so far? Uh, so far, it's it's heavy on Minnesotans. Uh, five of the nine who have committed so far, verbally committed, um, are from Minnesota, and you know, the, the, uh, PJ's been getting good traction in the state uh, this year. It's uh, it seems like these guys are really uh, you know teaming together, you know, encouraging each other to, to commit to uh, here, and they're they're uh, trying to get other others to follow. Who are the big prizes that they're trying to reel in? I think I feel like I saw you wrote about Jackson Howard, and I've talked to our preps guys about him too. Is he kind of the the, the best of the best that they're hoping to get, or are there even more above him that they wanted to to try to land this weekend? Uh, he's their number one target this weekend. Uh, he's yeah, basically a four star recruit. He's got narrowed his four schools to the Gophers, uh, Michigan, LSU, and Miami. So uh, he's going to take visits to those four. Uh, the Gophers are leading it off. Um, uh, talked to Alan True yesterday, uh, uh, analyst for uh, 24-7 Sports, who follows national recruiting. And, you know, the Gophers might not be the favorite, but they're, they're, they're in the race for them. It's, you know, 
when you look at the high end of recruits, it, it, it is, it has been historically difficult to get them to stay in Minnesota, but you know, if you basically he said they had a puncher's chance, so we'll see what happens. You know, he'll, he'll be making his visits. Um, it maybe, maybe PJ can pull a rabbit out of the hat. In general, I mean, they've had two very good years in the last three. If we go back to 2019, then again, last year, is that, I mean, do we overrate that in recruiting? Is it still more about facilities and, and other things or, or how much of a factor do you think that is as they try to land some of these better players? I think winning, winning is always a, a big factor, but yeah, facilities, location, everything uh, goes into it. Uh, personalities that, you know, do, do they like the coaching staff? Do they like the culture of the program? Um, all those go into it. Um, but winning certainly helps. I mean, you look at the Gophers, uh, yeah, 2019, they're they're uh, they're 11 and two, finishing the top 10 in the country. And I, I just happen to be looking at Miami. Um, they haven't had a top 10 uh, finish in, in the final poll since the uh, early 2000s. So it's it's uh, you know it, the Gophers that you know can basically they have that that big year in 19 and a pretty decent year last year. If they can follow up on that this year, recruiting should continue to do well. Does feel like an important year if we kind of step away from recruiting, which is going pretty well, it looks like. I mean, but just in general, on the field this year, it feels like they've got an opportunity, but also, you know, a lot of you know, a lot of people they got to replace. Yeah, it's it's a mix of uh, you know, you got a, a good number of people back, but they did lose a lot, especially on defense, and then the most of the offensive line. Uh, uh, PJ's been pretty uh, pretty high on the returnees on the offensive line, and. You have probably one of the better centers in the country and uh, and John Michael Schmitz. So um, that's one thing that'll look well on defense. They, they lost guys like uh, uh, Boy Mafe and Asesio Atomo. Uh, basically, you know they're going to have to get uh, become veteran in a hurry up front. Are they becoming known a little bit now for the offensive line with how the draft went? And I saw they got you know the. The four-star recruit, uh, offensive lineman Jerome Williams from Osseo. is that going to become a thing for them? Hopefully, I'm sure they hope it does. Uh, you know, they hadn't they had gone so many years without having an offensive lineman draft. Now they get a couple. It, it's uh, you know they're they're uh, they're looking. Uh, you know, that's that's an area where a state like Minnesota, you would think uh, you would produce some linemen, and I, they're they're starting to do that a much much better job at that. Final thought for you, Randy. You said they got I think five recruits out of this summer splash last year what what would be a realistic or what, what do you think they'd be happy with kind of kind of from the process this weekend you know i think a handful like that is probably what you would expect you know it's it's you know it's their big push uh for these guys it's it's you know they're they're gonna you know try to get them to commit when they're here um you know if they they i'm pretty sure they'll have a couple uh right away or pretty soon it's it seems like um but yeah, then and then the other dominoes. We'll see what happens. It's uh, you know I'm I'm expecting to have kind of a, a busy weekend waiting to see what happens. Waiting to see PJ's bat signal on Twitter. Yep, the bat signal uh, that that gets thrown up there, and uh, yeah, <laughs> and then you then you go to work. It's kind of funny. I mentioned that one time on the podcast uh, when in conjunction with Ben Johnson, I was talking to Marcus because he does the Denzel Washington thing, and then ever since then, whenever either Ben or PJ get somebody and they, they put that thing up on Twitter. I have somebody who know who, who ats me. So I have to make sure that I see that so that I'm not out of the loop on that. So I do appreciate that. I appreciate that. So I know what's going on, but yeah, I would imagine they'd get somebody 
out of this. And it's kind of like free agency, right? Like you want to get them while they're here. If they leave campus without committing and then go somewhere else, then someone else has a chance to dazzle them. Yeah, that's 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 a thing. I mean, they they want to impress these uh, kids as much as they can, and 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 what they get to have them doing over the weekend, it, it, they make it a fun atmosphere. That's for sure. Good stuff, Randy. We'll be following that all over the weekend. Follow Randy's coverage, Star Tribune, StarTribune.com. Follow him on Twitter as well. And uh, Randy, we'll check in again soon. Okay. Sounds good, Mike. Thanks a lot. Good stuff from Randy as usual. Um, yeah, look for the uh, look for the look for the bat signal probably a few times this weekend from PJ Flex Twitter account. Whenever they get a new recruit, a new commit, he puts that out there. And it sounds like from Randy's perspective, they should be able to get a few of them this weekend as they host all of these recruits on campus. So big weekend for the Gophers. I mean, any you know any team recruiting is kind of the lifeblood. I know even with you know, transfer portal, stuff like that. Maybe it's not quite as important as it used to be because you can add and subtract on the fly with more experienced, proven players. But high school recruiting, it's always still going to be a big part of a program, especially at Minnesota. And so this is a big one for the Gophers. Let's talk now for a little while about the Twins, you know, probably biggest rival, biggest contender in the AL Central outside of them this year, the Chicago White Sox. They have not been in a good spot lately lost again seven I'm sorry lost again on uh, on Thursday 11 to 9 to the Dodgers and that is a very interesting final score because of what took place in the middle of that game so the White Sox are now 26 and 29 start of the year 6 and 2 looked like they were going to be every bit as good as we thought they were going to be. They are 20 and 27 since then. In this 11 9 game against the Dodgers, they took a 4 0 lead before the Dodgers scored six runs in the fifth inning. White Sox got one back in the bottom half. So it's 6 5. I think it was 7 5 by the time this play happened. So Dodgers are batting. They're, they're up 7 5. Trey Turner, very good hitter, has been a hot hitter all season long, is up at the plate. Uh, Freddie Freeman, I believe, on first base. Somebody's on first base. And um, they get 0-2 on Turner. It's left-handed pitcher for uh, for the White Sox, um, Sousa. Brandon's, uh, yeah, Sousa's pitching for the White Sox, Bennett Sousa. And uh, so it gets to 0-2, but then there's a wild pitch. So runner goes to second. So it's a 1-2 pitch now. And... Tony Larusa, manager of the White Sox, decides to intentionally walk Trey Turner with a one-two count. And the White Sox announcers are like, "What's going on here? Why would you intentionally walk somebody when you've got, you know, a one-two count, a pitcher's count? I know it's a lefty versus righty matchup." And you can hear someone in the background, by the way, in the game. This was a uh, this was a, a home game for the White Sox. Someone's yelling, "There's two strikes!" Like they're 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 defend. You know, they're they're like, "What is going on here?" But they intentionally walked Trey Turner, who, you know, again, very good hitter, to get to Max Muncie, who has not been great this year, but is hitting cleanup for the Dodgers, one of the best teams in baseball, and who has a pretty good track record. And you can imagine what happens next. Muncie hits a three-run home run, even though it's a lefty against lefty matchup. 10-5 lead for the Dodgers. They go on to win that game. 11-9. 11-9. Difference in the game perhaps being that three-run home run because if you add up the runs, 3-2, there you go. So Tony La Russa, after the game, tries to defend it, and I want to play a clip of that right now. 
You explained the, uh, the thought process on the intentional walk with... Um... With uh, Turner? Turner. At one, two. So let me ask you a question. Is there, is there some question about whether that was a good move or not? At, I guess at one, two is the question. At the count Do you know one. what he hits against left-hand pitching with one, oh, one or two strikes? Do you know what he hits? Well, you know what Muncie hits with two strikes with against a left-hand pitcher? Uh, I mean, is that really a question? Because it was one and two? Turner was a, a strike left against a left-hander is not something you can avoid if you can. And we had an open base, and Muncie happened to be the guy behind him, and that's a better matchup. Here again, somebody disagrees. That's, that's the beauty of this game. Welcome to it. But that, that wasn't a tough call. Now, some of the Larusa logic makes a little bit of sense. I went and looked at the numbers. Muncie this year, I think it was 5 for 40 against left-handed pitching before that at-bat. So a little bit of this is second-guessing, outcome-based guessing. Trey Turner, very good, even when uh, you know, even when the count gets to two strikes. He is a good hitter. But in, in at-bats that go 0-2, which that at-bat gun, he is 6 for 41 this season. And it got to 1-2 at the wild pitch, a little bit better favor for him, but still a pitcher's count. So in either case, I think attacking the batter is probably a good solution. So my my thinking on this is why not try to make the perfect pitch to Trey Turner? Um, this is kind of maybe where the intentional walk rule gets you in a little bit of trouble because you just order the guy to go to first base. And there's no more like kind of I guess there is sort of the unintentional intentional walk, but once you've got him to one two, even if you think even if you respect what Trey Turner can do, why not try to make the perfect pitch? Get him out. Try not to put another base runner on. Don't don't waste those two strikes you worked so hard to get on him. Um, you know, and again, Larusa explained the wild pitch is the reason he then walked him because then you know it used to be a runner on first. You wouldn't walk a guy to to put the guy in scoring position, but once the guy was already in scoring position. That piece of it makes sense. There is some baseball strategy to it that isn't completely out of whack. The thing that bothers me is you've got a hitter with two strikes, even a very good hitter with two strikes. They are in a hole. They are at a deficit. They have to protect the plate. They have to be uh, almost perfect in that spot. Make the, make him make him put the ball in play. Or make him make him swing and miss. Make make a good pitch. Try to make a good pitch. And if you walk him, hey, so be it. That's that was the that's the other outcome, right? That's the other outcome from trying to get him to chase but not succeeding. And that's the outcome that you automatically put him into in the first place. And just the defiance in LaRusa's voice in trying to answer that question, that bothered me too. Like anybody dares debate this strategy when everybody else is like, there's two strikes. Come on, you can pitch to the guy. Try to get this done. So that was interesting. White Sox lose the game, obviously, like I said, not doing well right now, 26 and 29 overall. But hey, if you're a Twins fan... It is all good. Let's finish with the cooler. Oklahoma softball caps an unbelievable season, finishing 59-3, and the best team on the planet. We've It's been said, second straight College World Series title, beat Texas, um, what beat beat them ten to five, swept them in the in the final. What a what a what a team! I mean, they they set a, a College World Series record with 50, 64 runs scored, seventeen home runs during the College World Series. Just an unbelievable team, unbelievable run that they have been on, and they they're just fun to watch. Um, you know, they 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 field, they pitch, they hit. Um, it's just unbelievable players on that team. Unbelievable 
way that they can cap this off. So congratulations to Oklahoma softball, a very fun team to watch for the entirety of this season if you watched college women's softball. That will do it for today. That will do it for the week. I'm sure we'll be back at it Monday with Patrick Royce. We will see what the weekend brings. Hope you have a good one, and we'll see you then.